It's time for the Predator Way Podcast. The show starts now. Yes, sir. on Penalty Box Radio. I am your host, Boyd Farish, and in case you've been living under a rock since this past Saturday, Philip Forsberg is back. So on this episode, I will dig into his contract, what it means for the Nashville Predators. I will also reset the state of the team after a whirlwind offseason leading into this week's start to free agency, including a number of trades, a few signings, and I'll take a look back at the NHL entry draft. Then after the break, I'll dive into what comes next for the Predators in the offseason, whether by trade or signing, and give a few of my preferred options. Plus, I'll do some quick hits on options provided by you, the listeners. So the big news of the last few days is certainly the re-signing of Philip Forsberg to the Nashville Predators for an eight-year contract with an average annual value of $8.5 million. Now, the negotiations between General Manager David Poyle and Philip Forsberg's agent J.P. Barry have been going back to before the trade deadline, then all the way through the end of the season, through the playoffs, and through the offseason thus far, leading up to almost the start of free agency. And while it never seemed they were particularly contentious, it did seem there were certainly some hills to overcome in the process of coming to an agreement. So what it really came down to is two veteran negotiators trying to do what's best for their own side, and extract the most of what they could out of the process. But at the end of the day, they were both looking to make a deal. The goal for the Predators was always to re-sign Philip Forsberg. David Poyle said as much in the press conference earlier today, uh, Monday the 11th. And Philip Forsberg had maintained all the way through the process that his goal, his preference, was to remain in Nashville. So really a tidy bit of negotiating on both sides. The average annual value leaves some room for Poyle to add more to the roster, especially this offseason. While Philip Forsberg gets a heavier salary up front, uh, looking at about $10 million for the first couple years. Plus, he also gets the full no-movement clause, similar to what was given out to Roman Yossi, and also trade protection towards the end of the contract which certainly was an important piece for Philip Forsberg to make sure. And I think it's interesting to note that in the press conference today, David Poyle made mention that this contract sets up Philip Forsberg to be a legacy Predators player in the vein of Pecorine, certainly, who had his number retired earlier this year, but also where Roman Yossi is trending to ascend to the same status that is being given to uh, Pecorine. So certainly it's exciting news around the Nashville Predators team, fandom, media, to have a player of Philip Forsberg's stature sign that long-term agreement and really set himself up to remain a Nashville Predator for the remainder of his career. So in a couple of other moves important to what is taking place with the Nashville Predators this offseason, there was the trade for Ryan McDonough, veteran defenseman who had spent the last number of years with Tampa Bay 
including winning two Stanley Cups, was also formerly a captain for the New York Rangers. This was a pretty surprising move in that while there had been some conversation around maybe looking at adding another defenseman to the overall core, going out and trading for a still very good player in Ryan McDonough, but who also carries an almost $7 million cap hit for the next four years at age 33, did seem to be an interesting decision. I think a significant part of that, and Philip Forsberg expressed as much, was showing Philip Forsberg that they are trying to win now, that the Predators are trying to take advantage of the way this team is set up and the way the contracts come together to where there is actually a window for the next two to three years for the Predators to try to load up and make another run before it might become time to really tear it down and start over. So Ryan McDonough certainly enhances the defensive core, gives the Predators another option in the top four, possibly to play with Roman Yossi, and provide a steadier backdrop for the roving play that Yossi likes to do and make all of the offensive work happen that he does. On the other side of the trade, the Predators sent defenseman Philippe Myers and prospect forward Grant Mismash to Tampa Bay. From Tampa Bay's perspective, it was largely a salary cap move. They had expressed as much at the end of the season. The general manager of the Lightning, Julian Breezebaugh, effectively said he was not interested in trading Ryan McDonough. If there was not a flat salary cap, he wouldn't have even entertained the idea. But given where they are and the contracts that still need to be signed for Tampa. It was a very difficult but necessary move. They will end up saving about $4.5 million by bringing in Myers and Mismash. So it will be interesting to see how Myers sticks with Tampa Bay, given it really just didn't work out with Nashville from the start. In another roster move that took place during this past weekend's NHL draft, The Predators also traded Luke Cunnan to the San Jose Sharks in a not entirely surprising move that Cunnan was not retained. It is very interesting that David Poyle was able to get value for him given that Cunnan is a restricted free agent, so he will need a new contract, and just how down of a year he had with the Predators. Really, he just couldn't get much of anything going. So the Predators were able to return uh, young forward John Leonard, who, interestingly enough, I believe his sister works in the Vanderbilt University athletics program. So sort of an interesting twist there to bring a couple of family members together in Nashville. But probably the biggest bit of value coming back in the trade was a 2023 third round pick which the 2023 draft is supposed to be one of the deepest we've seen in years. There were many commentators during the NHL draft saying that third round picks in 2023 will look to be essentially the equivalent of what a second round pick in 2022 would have in terms of value. Another nice bit of work from David Poyle to turn a player that probably did not have a place in Nashville next season into usable pieces that potentially near term, probably in Milwaukee for John Leonard, and then longer term, another draft pick to add into the stable, either as a prospect that can be brought in or another trade chip that can be used to enhance the roster. 
briefly looking at the NHL draft, the biggest move made by the Predators was the selection of Finnish forward Joachim Kamel at number 17. This pick has the potential to be an absolute steal. Many of the draft boards going in had Kamel ranked often in the top 10, some even in the top 5. So the fact that he slid all the way to 17 is possibly huge value for the Predators. For anyone who's had the opportunity to look at some of his highlights and some of the plays that he was making during his time so far, he has got a lot of talent, especially as a scoring, playmaking winger who could really provide some offensive punch in the years to come. Unlikely to be an immediate contributor, probably needs a couple more years of development, but a whole lot of potential being picked up in the middle of the first round. Also in the third round, the Predators got a nice solid value pick in Casper Kulunumi. From everything that that I've read, looks to be a pretty solid potential to play a regular role in the NHL at some point in the future. Already putting up good numbers in Europe and looks like there might be a good selection there as well. Looking at the overall grade from Corey Pronman of The Athletic, the Predators were given a B, which honestly, given they were in the later half of the first round and didn't have a second round pick due to the trade for Jeremy Lazan, overall it was a solid effort to get value, if not the highest potential players in the picks after the first round. So that's it for some of the offseason moves to date. After the break, we'll start to look forward a little bit and look at some of the potential options that are out there in the upcoming free agency period, and also some of the trade options that might be out there for the Predators. This is the Predator Way podcast, and we'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to the Predator Way podcast. I am your host, Boyd Farish. In a piece I wrote for Penalty Box Radio recently, I laid out the steps that would make up the perfect National Predators offseason to bring that roster to a level of actual contention, not just playoff ready. And there were really five steps that I went through. Three of those are already done. Resign Philip Forsberg, check. Clear out some of the glut of the roster, check, as Luke Cunningham was traded. And to replace Dante Fabro with a steadier veteran to play with Roman Yossi. Couldn't have done much better than getting Ryan McDonough. Now, in that piece, I offered up Dante Fabro potentially as a trade asset. Unclear if that is the direction that David Poyle is considering going. But even if the end result is Dante Fabro sliding to the third pair and likely playing with Jeremy Lazan or Mark Borviecki, that's still an upgrade overall defensively. The last two items that, that I had in that piece were to obtain a top-end scorer for the second line and to get a play-driving middle sixer. Where this all really comes from is one of the single biggest glaring issues from the Predators in the past season was their inability to generate consistent offensive chances. The Predators were a great transition team, but when those transition opportunities were shut down, were not available, particularly highlighted in the Colorado series, there really wasn't much else offensively to make up for it. So there really is a need in that second line, in the middle six, 
to enhance the overall offensive play and overall possession capabilities of the Predators forward core. Now, with the trade for Ryan McDonough and the re-signing of Philip Forsberg, that probably takes the Predators out of the running to get both a top-end wing and another middle sixer. But they are still in a place where they could either get one big name or two smaller names and still have a little bit of wiggle room left over as there are players that still need to be signed or cap that will be taken up by the qualifying offers that were issued out today. Taking a look at at some of those options, from an unrestricted free agent standpoint, there are a few options that I think are really interesting in terms of middle of the road cost-wise, but solid producers that would be a big benefit to the Predator second line. The first two are both from the Carolina Hurricanes, and that's Max Domi and Nino Niederreiter. Those two could not be more different of players in terms of style. Niederreiter is much more of a net front physical player where Max Domi is more of a perimeter distributor. In the time that they both had with Carolina, granted, caveat, Carolina, very good possession team, but they both expressed and have expressed throughout their career some real ability to drive offensive play and drive possession. The next that I thought of is, again, sort of a a combination that you're picking one of the two would be one of the Stroms, either Ryan Strom or Dylan Strom. Somewhat similar to Domi or or Niederreiter, middle-of-the-road players would fit on the second line a little bit more of distributors than pure scorers, but linked up with either a Ryan Johansson or a Mikhail Granlund and potentially a Philip Tomasino, there's a real chance that one of those two could be a significant benefit to the Predators' second line. The last two that I thought of were more of the veteran players, although in a bit of a different way. The first is Andre Palat, who had a tremendous playoff run with the Lightning, was super clutch, made so many big plays, and really just did everything for the Lightning and has done everything for the Lightning over a past number of years. The challenge with Palat is he's not really a high-volume scorer, which is sort of weird to think about. Every time you watch him play, you probably think he scores more than he does. He's a tremendously valuable player, if not a high-end scorer. And then he is coming off his last contract with Tampa Bay where he was making $5.3 million. He's not going to come cheap. And there will be a lot of teams vying for his services. So at the age of 31, while the Predators are in this window, I'm not entirely sure that's the type of contract they want to take on right now. The other veteran player that really came to mind was Phil Kessel. It's been reported a few times recently by especially Elliot Friedman that Nashville almost acquired Kessel at the trade deadline, which actually probably would have been a significant benefit for the team. But you have to imagine the interest is still there with Kessel now being a free agent. And while his goal scoring prowess really did not reveal itself over the past season in Arizona, He did have 44 assists, which is a pretty solid season overall. And when you look at his ability to drive the puck in transition, make plays, and if he's distributing and he still has that off-the-rush wrister that he can can blow by a goalie, he's a shorter-term add, but could be a one- or two-year nice addition to the forward core while some of the younger players are coming up. 
So that's it for the unrestricted free agents. A few other ideas really kind of from the trade market. There are sort of three different categories that I came up with here. The first would be the home runs, which in my eyes is either Patrick Laine or potentially William Nylander. Now, neither player has been sort of officially on the trade block. But in either case, there are some reasons that maybe their future doesn't lie in those cities and with those teams. In either case, Liney or Nylander would be a huge boost to the Predators' top six and would instantly make either the second line or reshuffled first line a much more credible threat night in, night out. In terms of a smaller move, I think Jesse Pugliarvi out of Edmonton would be a significant add as well. He's really shown himself to be a complete player, forechecks well, drives play offensively, hasn't really shown the full offensive punch yet, but he's still only 24 years old. And potentially if paired up with, again, a Johansson and a Tomasino, a Johansson and a Kessel, there's some real possibility that that offensive flourish that he had as a prospect a number of years ago, it's still there. And there's an opportunity that his offensive production could take another step. Then from an under-the-radar move perspective, I'm still curious what Winnipeg might be willing to do to get someone to take on the Blake Wheeler contract. Now, the Predators probably don't have the room anymore to take that contract on in its entirety. So they would have to either create some additional salary space or work with Winnipeg to retain. But if Winnipeg's really motivated to get that contract off the books, the Predators are one of the few teams that are close to being able to take it on in its entirety. Wheeler still had 60 points last season. He's up there in years, but he's still a productive player. So I would be curious to see how that one could come together as well. Now it's time to turn it over to you, the listeners. Over the course of the evening, you provided me with a a bunch of options to think about and talk about from a free agency perspective. So we'll go kind of quick hit style and run through these one by one. I'll provide a couple of thoughts and where I think some of them might work or might not work. First up, Evgeny Malkin, which why not? I mean, he's, he's a legend. Concern obviously being how much term does he want? How much is it gonna cost? When does that age-related decline really hit? But as of right now, if he's healthy, he is still an all-world player. And he would be, obviously, a huge boost to the lineup. If he could be had at the right price and the right term, you're in this window to try to win it. You might as well take a run at it with someone who's done it multiple times. Next up, Mason Marchment. A very interesting case. He's really only played a couple full seasons He was a possession monster this year for Florida. Looking at some of his analytics, he was just constantly in the significant positive. But he's really only done it for one season. So there's certainly some risk there. If he'd be willing to take something shorter term to sort of try to prove it and earn himself a longer deal, I'd be interested. But I'd be real hesitant to give that real kind of term salary free agent contract based off just one real year of production. Next up, Dominic Kubelik from Chicago. Short version, he shoots a lot, but doesn't provide much else at all. He doesn't pass the puck. He doesn't really play defense. He transitions the puck and shoots it. That's about it. So again, he'd be interesting on a lower cost, shorter term, but I don't know if I'd be willing to commit too much to a player that's so one-dimensional and isn't great at that single dimension. Next up, Vincent Trocek. 
This one's very interesting to me. Trocek is an above average middle six center winger, scores well, plays a pretty good full ice game, plays well in transition. Again, if he can be had for a reasonable contract, I'd be very interested in what he could bring to the Predators. Andre Burakovsky. As with Mason Marchment, I'm just a little wary of players who see a big jump in production in a contract year, but he was excellent for Colorado this season, and it's not like the past couple years he's been bad. He's been close to a 20-goal player, if not above 20 goals. He's played some good hockey for Colorado, but again, you wonder, does that carry through when he's not on a roster that is that talented? Finally, David Perron. It does look like the Blues will not be able to re-sign him, and he will go to free agency. For being in his mid-30s, Perron is still an excellent player, does a lot of things well on the ice, whether it's scoring, distributing the puck, he plays a physical game, he's responsible defensively, though I will admit some of the on-ice shenanigans are pretty tiring. He's very much a uh, shit disturber, for lack of a better description. So it really just depends whether that's the type of player and the type of activity that you want on the roster. The Predators already take a ton of penalties, so I'm not sure that's the best thing to add. And really, cost and age-related decline would be a concern for someone who plays that style of game and has for a lot of years. But if he's not getting traction in the free agent market, then would certainly be worth a call to see what he's looking for and to see if he could be brought into Nashville. So that's it for the free agent quick hits. Certainly thank you to all the listeners who offered up ideas and options for me to go through. It's it's always a lot of fun for me to think through how these different players might fit both on the ice as well as sort of in the organization and where things are going over the next few years. Well, that will do it for this episode. This has been the Predator Way podcast, and I am your host, Boyd Farish. You can find me on Twitter at Boyd underscore 1212 and my written work on PenaltyBoxRadio.com. On the next episode, we'll take a look back at all the madness that we're expecting to see here over the next few days and what really promises to be a pretty wild free agency period. So thank you all for listening. Be well, everybody.